Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA here on this Monday. Hard to believe it is already September 12th, but it is indeed, and that means later on this morning, USDA is going to release their September World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates. We'll get their monthly update on what the USDA expects to see around the world. We're going to talk markets and fundamental factors ahead of that with Darren Newsom of Newsom Analytics here in just a few moments. In segment two, we're going to check in with John Baranek of DTN Weather, talk through just what came down over this past weekend across the Corn Belt. And in segment three, policy editor at Farm Progress, Jackie Fatka, will join us here on the show. It's a busy week ahead in Washington, D.C., as those folks in Congress gear up for that midterm election and try to make the most of the remaining days on the congressional calendar. And then finally, in segment four, we've got an update on that rail strike we talked about last week with Mike Steenhook of the Soy Transportation Coalition. Folks, just a reminder, it's expected to go into effect or potentially, I should say, could go into effect as early as next Saturday. So we could see some disruptions on the railroads throughout this week. Let's jump into these markets here today. We've got corn a little weaker, wheat uh, substantially weaker to start the day, and a little strength in beans. Joining us to bring us up to speed on the issues that matter in those markets is Darren Newsom, Darren Newsom Analysis. Darren, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, good morning, Mike. Thanks for having me on again. Well, Darren, let's get started here. I want to think back to Friday's move. We saw big upsides in all of the commodity markets, it seemed, not necessarily playing out into today. What's happened over the weekend? Nothing. I mean, really, there 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 was some news, though, that we need to keep track of. Uh, You know, we are seeing the dollar under pressure again. And this after, you know, almost every member of the U.S. uh, Fed board you know, coming out. And you know, I, I like the fact that they run ahead of this saying, you know, look, continue to look for, uh, you know, big rate hikes and so on as an attack against inflation. It's a little bit of a foolhardy, uh, you know, as far as the, the process itself. But, you know, the fact that they're doing this to try to, you know, alleviate the, the impact on the market, I like that. I think the biggest news that we have this week is the one you talked about in the introduction is the possible rail strike at the end of this week. I mean, I don't know that it's been in quite enough air. It, it can have a big, it can have a big effect on the markets. You know, right now we've got a lot of strength in in corn basis. If all of a sudden the basis, if all of a sudden the rail market shuts down, you know, what's going to happen to basis if we can't move this corn and starts to back up at harvest time? Now this this can have ripple effects, long term ripple effects. You know, until this strike gets worked out. So I'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to listen to the gentleman. Uh, at the end of your program. Other than that, obviously, the news out of Ukraine, you know, may have to take it with a grain of salt, but it sounds like the Russian invaders are on the run. We'll see how long that lasts. Indeed, we will. Darren, I want to come back to your comment there on the rail issue potentially coming this weekend. Have you seen any weakness develop at rail loader facilities this week? Are, are Is anybody trying to get ahead of this thing? You know, all I'm hearing right now are, you know, like you know, merchandisers in, you know, the feed yards in southwest Kansas and along the east coast, not just southwest Kansas, but the southern plains, and along the east coast are, are loading up, you know, trying to get rail, uh, trying to get unit trains booked, knowing that they're going to be deficit corn uh, again this year. And that's the way the market is set up. So, you know, what, what it's, you know, the situation looks like at least right now is that you know the heart of the corn belt, you know, particularly east of the Mississippi River, is going to see incredible basis as those new corn supplies get pulled both directions, both east and southwest. Uh, so if all of a sudden you take the rail away, then what are we left with? How are those areas how are those areas that are going are looking at corn deficits, how are they going to get the supplies that they need? I think it's going to you know completely change the situation again. Uh, you know, we're going to have to completely reshuffle the supply and demand deck uh, and see what comes out. Right now, basis is still holding strong. At the end of last week, national average basis came in at about 26 cents over uh, December futures as compared to the previous five-year high weekly high uh, close of eight cents over. So still strong basis, weakening a little bit, not that unusual. I think everyone's waiting to see what happens this week. 
All right. We'll keep our eye, our ears on that rail issue as it continues to percolate there throughout the week. Darren, I want to bring our focus back to currencies. You mentioned the dollar is under pressure this mm -hmm. week. Last week, we saw some currency changes when Argentina introduced their soy dollar. In Argentina, did that bring much soybeans to the market, either meal, oil, or uh, whole beans? What I'm understanding is, you know, and, and it has been historically, that soybeans are the currency of choice in Argentina just because there's very, you know, there's very little, uh, they, they have very little belief in the actual peso. I believe that's what it is. So they, so they use their soybeans as currency. So the fact that's what, we, what we're looking at now isn't that surprising. And yes, we are seeing some Argentine soybeans being sold. They can't do a lot of forward contract is the thing. And they don't, they don't, Argentina doesn't tend to store soybeans for a long period of time. So I do think we're going to see more soybeans coming on the market as soon as they become available uh, and because it's just very, you know, there's no carry in the market that, you know, the, the, you know, the, the international market saying it needs supply now. So uh, it would not be surprising to see this uh, Argentine producers continue uh, to sell soybeans into this. So, Darren, how should that change some harvest marketing for American growers who are looking ahead? Their bean crop might be continuing to grow out there in the field. Do you wait and let October come around and hopefully the Argentinians quit their export program? Yeah, you know, it's a tough call. I mean, if we look at just future spreads and we look, you know, basis is strong no matter what we do. We got strong corn base, a strong soybean base. So if we look at the future spreads, it's actually saying hold, you know, it hedge and hold your soybeans and sell your corn in the market. So if we do that, then, you know, we, so we get some hedges in place on the no beans, we protect the crop, let basis continue to appreciate in because there's still going to be demand for U.S. soybeans, and then see how that plays out. You know, it all comes down to what I like to call the gambler, the gambler's secret. You know, the secret to survival is knowing what to hold, knowing what to fold. Right now, it looks like they want to hold soybeans and maybe sell corn. All right. Where does that leave wheat? You mentioned the issues there with Russia. I saw that France and Romania are working together to bring more Ukrainian wheat out. Darren, where do you see that market headed in the short term? You know, it's interesting, and it's just typical wheat. Last week, we saw bullish breakouts on both the Chicago and Kansas City markets. Uh, if we look at the December uh, contracts, weekly close only charts. So what do we do? We follow that up immediately with sell-offs uh, on you know over the night overnight into the week into Monday morning. So again, it, it, it's wheat. Um, you know the old saying is if there's one bushel left over, it's too many. So now if it looks like the situation along the Black Sea is going to start to possibly improve, I'm not going to say correct itself, so maybe improve, uh, and we're going to see more exports coming out of that region and maybe some crops next year. That could put pressure on the wheat market, regardless of what's going on with the dollar right now. All right, Darren, you cover these issues and a lot more daily on your website. Tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you and keep up with what you're thinking on these volatile markets. Yeah, I appreciate that, Mike. The easiest way is to go to DarrenNewsom.com, sign up for, uh, go to our menu page uh, under services and sign up for the seven-day free trial. And there you can see what we talk about, how we analyze, what we, you know, what our commentary is, and all that sort of thing. Uh, and if you like it, sure, we can go from there. If not, you know, at least take a look, see what, see what we've got going on. Never hurts to take a look and learn a little bit more about these markets, folks. That's Darren Newsom, DarrenNewsom.com. Always appreciate your insight, Darren. Thank you so much, Mike. And folks, stick around. We'll be talking with John Baranek of DTN Weather about what to expect later on this week. So stick around for more AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. On the first Wednesday of every month here on AOA, we get together for the monthly grind, a conversation about corn demand and the partnerships it takes to make that corn industry profitable with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association. This week, Dr. Chris Hostetler from the National Pork Board joined us, and we talked about how DDGs have become commonplace in the pork industry. You know, the renewable fuel standard came on board in 2007. Um, suddenly, corn was used for other things that it hadn't traditionally been used for, at least in, in uh, not in such great quantity. As a product of that, uh, distiller's grains became available to us uh, as a feedstuff. Um, I would no longer classify uh, dis dried distiller's grains or solubles, DDGS, as a, a non-traditional feedstuff for pig, uh, for pigs. We commonly use it as part of our swine diet today. 
That was Dr. Chris Hostetler from the National Pork Board reflecting on the partnership between pork and corn. We'll be back Wednesday, October 5th with the next edition of the Monthly Grind. This is the place most people think of when they hear that a seed has been engineered for superior performance and designed with proven genetic traits. Because something like that could only come from a lab, right? But this is where Allegiant Seed by CHS comes from. It's made by farmers for farmers. Its advanced genetics and unbeatable value are proven here in their fields to make sure they do the job in yours. Talk to your CHS retailer about Allegiant Seed today or learn more at AllegiantSeed.com. Hi, I'm Brent Whitefoot, your Chief Agri-District Manager for Western Nebraska. I'll be at Husker Harvest Days, Lot 430, on September 13th through the 15th, talking with farmers and equipment dealers from all over the region about our customized product solutions designed to fit your operational needs. Our grain storage, handling, and conditioning products are designed to last and help you save time and money every step of the way. Have questions? Give me a call at 308-440-4737 or check us out at agra.chiefind.com. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. We, 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 we are, are the, the Foundation, foundation Fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for making AOA a part of your day here on this Monday. As we gear up for this week, I'm sure a lot of you are making plans to get down to Grand Island, Nebraska, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday for Husker Harvest Days. And if you're planning to be there, there's a pretty good chance you could bump into our next guest. Mr. John Baranek, DTN Weather, joins us now. John, you will be at Husker, is that right? That's right. I'll be there all three days. So we're giving talks uh, twice a day, too. So uh, coming in, stop by, and uh, I'd love to chat with anybody that's out there. It's always great to meet farmers and see what their operations are up to. It is indeed, John. What are those farmers going to experience weather-wise if they make the trek to Grand Island this week? Oh, unfortunately, it's going to be a, a pretty hot one. Uh, temperatures both Tuesday and Wednesday look like they'll be around 90 degrees uh, for highs. So a lot, of, a lot of the day is going to be in the 80s and unfortunately and there may be some showers there on wednesday night but i think it'll probably hold off until probably thursday afternoon thursday evening so pretty much after the show so it should be a nice nice hot stretch uh and dry uh as we're out there all right john speaking well not speaking of dry i want to go back to this past weekend last monday when we talked to you on the show john you mentioned that big weather maker that was coming through friday saturday sunday it swept across much of the corn belt do you know how much rain fell from that uh, that slow moving event uh, this weekend you know it depended on where you were um but you know the heaviest rain we saw kind of as, as the, the front that moved through kind of had a low pressure system wrap up on it and uh, that wrapped up over northern Illinois and the southern Wisconsin. We saw a lot of heavy rain up there. Uh, if you were watching the, the Bears game on uh, yesterday afternoon, you probably saw what happened there in Chicago. But uh, much of northern Illinois and southern Wisconsin saw kind of three to six-inch widespread amounts. There some areas there in southeast Wisconsin that saw over eight inches. So uh, it was kind of a, a pretty heavy uh, rainfall event there. But Elsewhere across the, the Corn Belt, it kind of came in kind of some, some light to moderate bands of rain. Uh, we also saw some heavier rain kind of in central Indiana, but uh, for the most part, light to moderate uh, showers kind of swept through. John, this week, has that, uh, that system that moved through this weekend changed anything? Are you expecting any more fronts to move through later on this week? 
Uh, not really. So um, what we're seeing is, is kind of a ridge of high pressure out in the western states. Now, that was kind of the cause of some, uh, uh, some extensive heat and record heat out there in the western states last week and, and the week prior, honestly, as well. That's going to be spreading out into the middle of the country here this week. So you know, that's what's causing the heat there in Grand Island. And, uh, you know, for a lot of the, the rest of the country um, this, uh, later this week as well. So, you know, temperatures going to be above normal. I mean, the heat is kind of relative this time of year as we're, we're headed through the fall season. So, you know, you could be 10, 10 degrees above normal and still feel pretty comfortable out there. Um, so, you know, not, not too bad in terms of that. But, you know, we don't really see any big weather systems moving through. There's a lot of little disturbances that will move into the western states and on their way up into central Canada so we can see some showers up in the northern plains and the Canadian prairies, um, but for the for the most part, much of the Corn Belt down into the southeast, uh, the south central U.S. is going to stay pretty dry this week. All right, John, let's go to the southwest. That droughted out part of the country that has been struggling for so long. I understand they might be seeing some substantial rains here this week. Is that one of those little systems that's coming through? Uh, actually, part of that is what happened over the weekend. I think we mentioned uh, last week on the show. Uh, the potential for one of these tropical storms to move up uh, towards Southern California. And it did over last weekend. So we saw the tropical storm keg move kind of close to the Southern California and it brought in some waves of tropical moisture with it. Uh, they saw some pretty decent rainfall in a lot of the places down there uh, over the weekend. And uh, we got some more. So those small disturbances that I talked about that moved through the, that are gonna move through the West. Um, one of them is actually the remnants of that little tropical storm um, a little bit of moisture left over from that, but there's all there's several little disturbances that will be moving through as well. So yeah, today they're getting some heavy rain um, down in kind of western Arizona and the southern Nevada and the desert of California there. Um, but that, that's right along the Colorado River Valley, so it's definitely an area that has a desperate need of some rainfall. So you know, unfortunately, it may be producing some uh, heavy rainfall and some flooding in some areas, but uh, I think they could. They'll, they'll take it as long as they get the rain. Yeah, I think you're probably right in that neck of the woods. John, look out to the East Coast with me. I know we had uh, some tropical activity developing last week. What has done? Uh, what has that done this week so far? Yeah, those two storms uh, last week are now gone. Uh, they both dissipated. Um, we're, we're still tracking a couple of things coming uh, through uh, the Atlantic Ocean, one coming off the coast of Africa, one kind of halfway between um, the Caribbean and Africa, uh, but you know they have kind of low chances of, of developing anything here this week. Um, I'm, you know, there, there's potential that they they could, and as they're kind of heading northeast toward the U.S. late this week and weekend, but and that's kind of far off. And we do have um, uh, a, a ridge that'll that'll be moving off to the east coast. So they will both if they do head towards the U.S., they will be kind of guided inward. So uh, we'll have to watch those for sure, but they're, they're way out there right now. So it's kind of hard to, to say whether or not that we should be worried at this point, but we'll definitely be keeping an eye on them. All right. Well, there's some activity to be sure, at least uh, developing there right. in the Atlantic. John, I want to bring it back to the United States and particularly there to the Southern Plains. We continue to get reports of cows being moved off pasture because those conditions just aren't improving. Is there any chance for drought improvement or a drought buster across Oklahoma, Texas Panhandle, Western Kansas as you look out through the month of September? Man, that's hard to find a buster. Um, there may be some limited areas that see some decent rainfall. You know, all those little disturbances I talked about moving from the west into central Canada, they might, you know, move through Nebraska, Kansas with some limited showers at times, but I don't see anything really drought busting uh, in terms of that. You know, there's one system here kind of towards the middle of next week. Now, models are kind of iffy on whether or not it's going to be a strong system or a weak system, but if it doesn't indeed become a strong system, we may have a, a nice cold front that moves through the region. Um, there's plenty of moisture that will be sucked in off the Gulf of Mexico. So there's maybe, I think this is an outside chance of, of something there getting into the central Southern Plains to, to bring about some decent rainfall. But even then, it wouldn't be a drought buster. Um, you know, it's going to take months and months of, of good rains to, to really eat into that. And so we're, we're a long ways away from, from uh, you know, being optimistic for that part of the country. John, as that La Nina situation in the Pacific starts to fade, will that open the door for more rainfall across the Southern Plains? 
It will, but we're not really expecting that to fade until springtime, maybe summer, so uh, of 2023. So we've got all winter to get through with La Nina conditions, and that's typically hot and dry from Nebraska southward, especially Kansas. So I mean, they're really the heart of the winter wheat country um, uh, in the southwestern plains. There uh, looks like we're going to be going through another season here of La Nina. Um, you know, it, it's um, hopefully we can get out of this into more neutral uh, category here sometime in the spring. If that does occur, maybe we'll see some help um, for, you know, the, the fill period uh, for wheat down there. We may have some late rains that, you know, kind of save us from a disaster. Uh, we'll just kind of hope and pray for that. But, uh, you know, it's, it's not looking good right now for establishment for sure. Well, certainly growers in the Southern Plains don't want to hear about that dryness, but for folks up here in the Northern Corn Belt looking maybe a week, 10 days, two weeks away from harvest, dryness might be welcome. John, what do you see across the Northern Belt here over the next couple of weeks? Yeah, that's right. So, you know, these uh, little disturbances I talked about, they're going to be trucking through the Northern Plains. I think the Northern Plains, Minnesota area, still in line for some uh, periods of rainfall. Now, none of these look like they're going to be overly widespread, but, you know, if you add them all up here over the next uh, 10 days or so, I think it turns out to, to some pretty decent rainfall. You know, some of these really late planted crops, especially across North Dakota, Northwest Minnesota, that were, you know, delayed three, four weeks um, planting here, might be able to take advantage of some of these rains. But you're right, a lot of these areas are going to be like, eh, maybe we could hold off on the rain here for the rest of the fall. Um, you know, after we get through maybe the middle of next week, I think we're, we're more in line for that across most of the country. But we got to get through that first. Um, you know, in terms of the, the eastern side of the Corn Belt, you know, we're not seeing a whole lot of rainfall. A lot of these systems are just going to bypass them off to the northwest. So uh, they'll be into some better drying conditions here um, going into next week. Now, again, I mentioned that potential for the stronger system. That might throw a kink into it uh, middle to late next week, but that would be kind of the only one on my radar screen right now. All right, folks, watch for that weather event middle to next, uh, middle to end of next week. And if you're heading to Grand Island, stop by the DTN booth. John, you're on from 10. You're on at 10 and at 2 the next three days. 10 and 2 the next three days. You got it. Thanks, Mike. Fantastic, folks. Stop by, see our friend John Baranek at Husker Harvest Days, and stick around. When AOA returns, we're going to be checking in with Jackie Fatka. She's the policy editor over there at Farm Progress, and she's going to bring us up to speed on what all is happening this week ahead in Washington, D.C. Stick around for more AOA coming right up after this. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. On the first Wednesday of every month here on AOA, we get together for the monthly grind, a conversation about corn demand and the partnerships it takes to make that corn industry profitable with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association. This week, Dr. Chris Hostetler from the National Pork Board joined us, and we talked about how DDGs have become commonplace in the pork industry. You know, the renewable fuel standard came on board in 2007. Um, suddenly, corn was used for other things that it hadn't traditionally been used for, at least in, in uh, not in such great quantity. As a product of that, uh, distiller's grains became available to us uh, as a feedstuff. Um, I would no longer classify uh, dis dried distillers grains or solubles, DDGS, as a, a non-traditional feedstuff for pig, uh, for pigs. We commonly use it as part of our swine diet today. That was Dr. Chris Hostetler from the National Pork Board reflecting on the partnership between pork and corn. We'll be back Wednesday, October 5th with the next edition of The Monthly Grind. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, overall, as we take a look at the grain and oilseed trade ahead of the September WASDE report due out at 11 a.m. Central Time here on Monday, grain and oilseed trade fairly quiet and mixed ahead of that report. Not a whole lot of movement as the trade really is just quiet, awaiting those numbers from USDA. It's expected that the national corn yield is going to come down. We just don't know how much. The average pre-report estimate is for 172.5 bushel per acre national yield. That'll be well below uh, the original estimates that were around that 177, 178 mark from USDA earlier this year. 
with some private estimates already out that have been below 170. So it'll be interesting to see where USDA comes in on this report. Also expecting a drop in corn production and corn harvested acres likely on the September numbers. Meantime, soybeans expecting things to stay relatively the same, including that yield estimate, which is right around that trend line mark. It'll be interesting to see the market action after we get those numbers and if there are any surprises from USDA. Now, the week ahead in the market trade also looks to be very volatile, not only with the September WASD report out Monday, but also following that with the Labor Department report on inflation coming on Tuesday and talk of a possible railroad strike as union talks broke down over the weekend. A strike by the Class 1 railroads would come at a time that fall harvest is starting to ramp up and could have major impacts on the agricultural supply chain. Meantime, over in livestock, lime and feeder cattle are mixed and trending higher as we work through Monday's trade so far ahead of the WASD report. Feedlots are hopeful to see more interest in this week's cash market as packers have been diligent about suppressing the market around the Labor Day weekend. Crude oil is up about a dollar right now, around 87.97. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. In Washington, D.C., of course, we are getting close to the November election, which means time on the congressional calendar is getting fairly scarce. And that's leading to a lot of things to be scheduled in the week ahead. Jackie Fatka, the policy editor over at Farm Progress, keeps track of all of these various things. And Jackie, this looks like it's going to be a busy week for you. Yeah, lots of hearings and uh, lots of topics that are very important to those in the ag industry. So yeah, I'll be tuning into a lot of those hearings this week on the House side, on the Senate side. There's some on the House Ag Committee. There's some in the House Small Business Subcommittee, also on the Senate Ag Committee. So a lot of a lot of ones that that will be of note this week. And we've got some pretty powerful people speaking in important places. I understand Michael Reagan, EPA administrator, is going to be giving a talk. Jackie, what's he talking about? Yeah, so the Growth Energy, which is a biofuels industry group, is holding their biofuel summit this week. Um, it's the first time that they've been back in, in person since 2019, and they'll be in Washington. And on their agenda tomorrow is EPA administrator Michael Reagan and also from the USDA side, um, Deputy Secretary Brownow. And, um, you know, I imagine with the USDA side, I'm sure they're going to be talking about some of the biofuels money that was included in the, the recent uh, bill that just passed out of Congress. And, and also, too, with EPA Administrator Regan, I, I'm imagining they have a lot of questions about where things are sitting with the RFS, where things are with the future of the RFS, and where they are with the set rule. I mean, we are in the fall here, and I think a lot of people had hoped we would have some at least a little bit more details on how they could roll out a longer term multiple year look at things going forward from 2023 on, because um, that's really technically the RFS requires that. And so I, I think a lot of people had hoped we would know more by now because Again, people are trying to make decisions for next year, and we don't know the levels and, and, and how much is required for blending. 
Yes, that certainly makes it difficult, and maybe we can get some direction as to where the USDA is headed on that. Jackie, coming back to Capitol Hill, I understand one of the hearings coming up this week is very timely in that it is the rail service challenges and the impact on agriculture. I know you've been following this story closely. What do you expect to be brought up at that hearing? You know, that one I feel like is going to be, I mean, the timing of that hearing is actually that's in the House Transportation and House Ag subcommittees are holding a joint hearing on Thursday afternoon on the impact of these rail service challenges to the ag industry. And that actually coincides with where we could see a deadline for these labor union discussions to avoid a, uh, a strike. And we've got a little bit of uh, there's there's a few who have made some agreements, but overwhelmingly there's a lot that still has not been settled within this union dispute between these. And so a lot of folks last week were writing members of Congress to step in and take some action to avoid some of this. Uh, so you know I I I fear that I I don't think they're going to have anything good to announce at that hearing. I think they're going to have a lot of impact. Uh, you know, really what Congress can do, I think, is is also somewhat limited. I mean, really what we need, need to happen is for these unions to to just basically come together. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I think we talked about how what was on the table. You know, they had a mediator who came in and, and basically kind of said, well, this is the this is the midpoint. Let's just let's try to get this midpoint. And they they did not accept that. And so that's why they had this 30 day deadline, which, like I said, expires uh, the 15th, 16th, I think it's like midnight of the 15th. So really, you know, Friday morning, we could wake up and, and have a lot of concerns. We could indeed. So we'll be paying attention to that hearing on Thursday, see what comes out, maybe get an indication as to what Congress is thinking should a strike develop. Jackie, what are some of the other hearings and what do you expect to hear this week? You know, the House Ag Committee is 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 busy working on uh, some of their oversight, continued oversight of the Farm Bill. They have a hearing on Thursday on broadband a lot of discussion on broadband. Uh, and then also House Ag on Wednesday has one on soil health practices and programs that support regenerative agriculture. So that's something that, you know, everybody's kind of watching, talking about. That's an important thing. Um, you know, another one that's that's maybe not as, uh, you know, on the radar, a lot of farmers, but it's under the jurisdiction of the Senate Ag Committee is a hearing on Thursday there on digital commodities and consumer protection. You might have heard of Bitcoin and some of those different things that are kind of taking taking over. Uh, and that is actually under the jurisdiction of the Ag Committee uh, in the CFTC. And so the CFTC chairman, Rostin Benham will be there to, to testify on Thursday morning with that. So a lot of different things that are going on. I think uh, Congress, as you mentioned, you know, as we near November elections, there are fewer legislative days. And so as Congress is back in session here for a couple of weeks before they go home for that final stretch, especially in the House, they will, uh, you know, try to get a lot of this business work done and discussion on Capitol Hill on on where where we should be, you know, having some oversight, as I mentioned with the Farm Bill hearings. Um, there's also an interesting one this week on right to repair and what it means for entrepreneurs uh, in the House Small Business Subcommittee. So as a lot of those farmers who like to tinker around on their tractors or make their updates, you know, that's becoming harder with some of the the updates on technology and the computers and the chips and things that go with that. And so that's been a discussion that's kind of been off and on again for a while. And it was actually something that was discussed a lot in the early days of the Biden administration on, on providing some of that oversight on those larger corporations and being able to give folks more of the, the as I mentioned, that right to repair. But there's a lot of things that go with that, too. So that'll be an interesting hearing to listen in on this week that I'm, I'm planning on tuning in on. Jackie, last week we did have the Senate Finance Committee take a listen to Doug McCaleb's hearing and they voted him out of committee. Any chance we could get a vote on his nomination ahead of the November elections? Uh, I actually do think he will get voted here soon here in the next couple of weeks. Um, I think he was favorably reported unanimous, unanimously out of committee. Uh, you know, he just had his nomination hearing, I believe, at the end of July. So it's been fairly recent, but, you know, there's no surprises with him. He's been a long time U.S. 
FDA and uh, trade employee. You know, he's also worked at USTR. So very familiar to a lot of folks that's, that's been around for nearly 30 years on the public policy side of things. Uh, so yeah, I actually do think he might come up here. There's there's no hold that's likely on him, not that I've heard of anyway. And so I think we might actually get him through and fairly soon, which will be a welcome sign because it is almost two years. There's been a lot of criticism. That was something that was brought up by the the ranking member Republican on the discussion of his here of, of his nomination is, you know, we're still we're almost two years into this administration and we don't have a chief ag negotiator yet. All right. Maybe that that drought will be coming to an end. Jackie, I want to turn your attention to an article you wrote this past week. We've seen so much focus on livestock processing throughout the pandemic. And I understand that line speeds, how quickly we process those animals is a key component for those processors. USDA is or the FSIS is looking to make some changes to poultry line speeds. Bring me up to speed. What have they proposed? So yeah, this is an issue on both the the poultry side as well as the uh, pork side. And so there was a letter actually uh, sent out earlier this summer to a lot of the current facilities who process poultry had been given a waiver to go at a speed that, that they have been able to prove is safe for being able to still identify if there's any things from a food safety standpoint, but also that that allowed the inspectors to be able to do what they needed to do and the workers be able to do. So it was a waiver to allow it to go a little bit faster. And, and then here this summer, they actually said, uh, well, we're going to have to reduce your line speeds unless you apply to, you opt into this study by the September 1st deadline. Well, they, these, these plants were only given 30 days to decide whether they would get to have basically allow someone who's a third party person, someone that's not familiar with their facility, come in and have access to how everything they do. And there's 55 plants that currently participate in this waiver program. I talked with USDA last week just to kind of try to get an update, you know, how many people were willing to sign in and they weren't ready to give that information out. So uh, this there was a letter from several legislators who said, you know, maybe we should give the, the poultry groups, poultry plants some more time to really evaluate on what, what this means for them because they were given 30 days. And when you're talking about 25% reduction in line speed, if they're not allowed to be into this, the waiver that they previously had, that's that's time it, time and money because that is less that they're able to do in the time that they're able to have and with the work constraints and the labor supply issues that are going on in all sectors but especially in the the processing plants you know this is just one more hurdle that they are going to have to overcome Yes, and what struck me in your article was the amount of data that USDA is going to want access to if these plants participate in the study. Jackie, it's a lot of information USDA could get. Yeah, and and I think that's something that, you know, it's one thing to let, allow USDA or FIS, FSIS to have that information, but when you go ahead and you give it to a third party, you know, that's that's there's some concerns there with that. And so that was something that they were, these legislators were trying to make sure that they communicated to USDA. And of course, they're communicating that fear if they slow down plant speed by 27 to 25%, Jackie, that's going to make the cost of chicken climb quite a bit. Definitely. And that's, you know, with all the in, increases in prices across the board, that's one thing that we don't need is, is another reason to, to raise prices. That is a fact. Jackie Fatka is the policy editor over at Farm Progress. We always appreciate her insight. Jackie, thanks for keeping track of everything going on in Washington, D.C. for us. Yep. Have a great week. I know I'll be busy. Indeed you will. And folks, stick around. We're going to talk a little bit more in segment four about that railroad issue and the progress that's being made by those strikes here in the fourth segment of AOA. So stick around. We'll have more show coming up right after this. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. 
and your intestines and keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Hey, Dad. Your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad. Your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey. Why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. On the first Wednesday of every month here on AOA, we get together for the monthly grind, a conversation about corn demand and the partnerships it takes to make that corn industry profitable with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association. This week, Dr. Chris Hostetler from the National Pork Board joined us, and we talked about how DDGs have become commonplace in the pork industry. You know, the renewable fuel standard came on board in 2007. Um, suddenly, corn was used for other things that it hadn't traditionally been used for, at least in, in uh, not in such great quantity. As a product of that, uh, distillers grains became available to us uh, as a feedstuff. Um, I would no longer classify uh, dis dried distillers grains or solubles, DDGS, as a, a non-traditional feedstuff for pig, uh, for pigs. We commonly use it as part of our swine diet today. That was Dr. Chris Hostetler from the National Pork Board reflecting on the partnership between pork and corn. We'll be back Wednesday, October 5th with the next edition of the Monthly Grind. Hi, this is Jeff Schmidt. I'm your Chief Agri-District Manager for Eastern Nebraska. I will be at Husker Harvest Days on Lot 430 on September 13th through the 15th. We'll be talking with farmers and equipment dealers from all over the region about our customized product solutions that are designed to fit your operational needs. If you have any questions, give me a call, 308-440-8768, or check out our library of products at agra.chiefind.com. We gather together in communities across the nation to remember and honor, to celebrate and support to light the night. Join us as we lift our lanterns high in order to move toward a world free of blood cancers. Join us as we light the night for a loved one. Join us. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Our mission is to cure leukemia, lymphoma, Hodgkin's disease, and myeloma. Our aim is to improve the quality of life of patients and their families. Join us. We are LLS, and when we walk, cancer runs. Join your community and help bring light to the darkness of cancer. Join us as we light the night. Find your local event at lightthenight.org. That's lightthenight.org. When it comes to making plans, you are the best. What about those round trips, which are perfect on your way there and perfect on your way back? Or those meetings with friends, surprise parties, camps, birthdays. The same way you plan for the important moments, start planning to protect you and your loved ones from a natural disaster. Sign up for local weather and emergency alerts. Prepare an emergency kit and make a family communications plan. Get started at ready.gov plan. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Ha! 
keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, folks, thanks for tuning in to AOA here on this Monday. We've talked a few times on today's program about the potential for a Class 1 railroad strike nationwide on Saturday. We had some more breaking news about that this morning. It was reported by Bloomberg that many of the largest Class 1 railroads, those uh, those large freight carriers, particularly two based over on the East Coast, began sending out letters this morning notifying customers that they could expect service cuts later on this week, and they should start to expect some changes in service this week as the rail carriers plan ahead. Of course, if these folks are looking at a potential for a strike on Saturday, they're trying the rail owners, the railroads rather, are working to get the perishable items moved this week. They're working to get any hazardous or uh, item that needs special clearance moved this week ahead of the potential of that strike. We talked about it with Darren. We talked about it with Jackie. This rail strike could happen as soon as Saturday. And here's where things sit as of Monday to start the week. As of right now, all the union railroads that are in this negotiation period, and they've been negotiating since 2020, there's 12 different unions that are working to come to an agreement. A month ago, after the Presidential Emergency Board issued that recommendation to the unions, basically taking the union's demands and the railroad's demands, finding the middle point, and then sending that out to all the union members, Reportedly, and this has not been verified by the members yet, but reportedly 8 to 10 of those 12 unions are prepared to accept that from the Presidential Emergency Board. That sounds like a big win. However, the remaining two or three unions cover by far the majority of the rail workers who could potentially strike on Saturday. The Brotherhood of uh, Locomotive uh, Engineers and Trainmen and the Sheet Metal Workers in Transportation Union together employ about 90,000 people, and they have not agreed to terms as of yet. In fact, the Presidential Emergency Board's decree that came out on August 16th just looked at the money. They looked at the pay and the, the sick pay and, and some of the financial ramifications, and that was how they came to the middle ground. Those two unions, BLET, Brotherhood of uh, Locomotive Engineers and Trainmen, and SMART, which is the, uh, the sheet metal workers, they announced a joint statement this morning, and they said they will not agree to terms unless the railroads take into account quality of life issues. Going back to 2020 and then throughout the pandemic, the quality of life complaints are what have really driven a lot of anger in the world of railroads. I had a chance at uh, Farm Progress to speak with a rail employee, uh, two rail employees actually, who have been working hard throughout COVID and they're being penalized for taking time off to visit the doctor or do things like that. And the unions say they're not going to stand for it. And they are prepared to strike those two unions. At least Blett has issued a vote. Their union members came back at about 97% with approval to strike on Saturday. I have not seen the numbers about what the Smart TD union is thinking, but I would imagine if they've drawn that line in the sand for quality of life improvements, they will be holding steady. And the impression I got from the folks I spoke with at Farm Progress is that membership is ready to make some changes to how work is structured. So I think the threat of a strike is going to continue to move these markets all week. As Darren mentioned, it is going to impact basis, particularly if it develops. If we wake up on Saturday the 17th to a class one railroad strike and you've got grains booked at a, at a rail loader facility, let's be cautious. Let's be prepared. We've got to be aware of what's happening out there. I do suspect, and I think Jackie has echo echoed this as well, Congress is looking for ways to remedy they're going to do everything in their power to not have a massive supply chain disruption one month ahead of the elections. But there's a lot of strong feelings on both sides of this issue, and I think we're going to hear about it a lot more as this week moves towards its conclusion on Friday. We had another story come out of the European Union. Folks, we've been talking a lot about their electricity demand, what their electricity pricing has done to natural gas production in that continent. It has effectively uh, stopped fertilizer production there across Europe. And this weekend, the EU Commission came out with a recommendation that their member countries cap power consumption and then put very large taxes on power suppliers and use that tax money to fund some of the subsidies they want to grant their European 
European members. Now, this was proposed by the European Commission. It does not have the force of law until it is approved by the member states. So this is going to drag on some time. It still needs approval on Tuesday and then it will uh, move to a vote for the rest of those union states. But that electricity concern in Europe, folks, is going to be driving our markets. It's going to be changing the way global money flow moves around the world. Speaking of money flow, folks, here shortly we'll be hearing from the USDA on their September World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates. We do have what the analysts expect to see from that report coming out later this morning. On the corn side, we are expecting a drop in corn stocks down to 1.388 billion bushels. Um, excuse me, that was the August number, it was 1.388. Analysts are expecting it to drop to 1.18, lose about 200 million bushels in corn. Over on the soybean side, there's a little, a little bit of a cloudier picture. As of right now, analysts are estimating a record large soybean crop. They're figuring 4.5 481 billion bushels to be reported later today. That would be down slightly from the August estimate of 4.531 billion bushels. And they are expecting that USDA will bump the yield to, uh, excuse me, drop the yield to 51.5, down from 51.9 back in August. On the wheat side, of course, we're not going to be seeing a whole lot of big changes here in the wheat report. But according to Dow Jones, USDA might slightly increase the, uh, the amount of wheat in the ending stocks from 610 million bushels to 622 million bushels. We have been seeing those slow exports with wheat, and the concern is that it might start piling up here on our shores. So we are seeing that way on the wheat market so far this morning. Looking out into the yield estimates for soybeans, it is reported that DTN, their digital yield tour, we spoke with DTN about that here a month ago. They continue to see their soybean supplies tighten. They've dropped it down to 48.4 bushels per acre. We'll see how those numbers turn out when the combines start to roll shortly. Folks, thanks for tuning in to AOA today. Don't miss us tomorrow. We'll dig in to the numbers from that USDA supply and demand estimate. Have a great day, everybody. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Hi, I'm Brent Whitefoot, your Chief Agri-District Manager for Western Nebraska. I'll be at Husker Harvest Days, Lot 430, on September 13th through the 15th, talking with farmers and equipment dealers from all over the region about our customized product solutions designed to fit your operational needs. Our grain storage, handling, and conditioning products are designed to last and help you save time and money every step of the way. Have questions? Give me a call at 308-440-4737 or check us out at agra.chiefind.com. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council.